Good afternoon, evening, everybody. And uh, thank you for inviting me to share with you for this uh, opening meeting of the ASI. And I'd like to welcome you, if you've not been welcomed, to Sacramento. And uh, in behalf of Sacramento Central Church, an amazing fact, we're so glad to have ASI here in Sacramento. You've picked a good time to come. This has been historically one of the best years for weather that we have had in probably half a century. While much of the country is sweltering, it's just been beautiful here. And if you have a break in your busy schedule at some point tomorrow, we'd invite you to come by and take a little tour of the Amazing Facts office. We'd love to just uh, give you a little tour, show you what we do at the Bible School and the media and so forth. So we're glad to have you in Sacramento. Welcome. And I'm thankful to be here to open the Word of God with you and talk with you about this very important theme this week of finishing strong. And if you would, could I invite you to join me for a moment as we bow our heads and just invite the Lord to speak to us through his word at this time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we desperately need you. We pray right now not because we deserve any good thing, but we're coming to you and we're pleading the merits of your son Jesus and his blood. We ask that you would evict anything that might distract us from hearing you speak through your word to our hearts. Lord, speak to your people. We believe we are on the borders of the promised land, and yet there's a struggle before us. Please give us your spirit, courage, and inspire through your word in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. In our scripture reading tonight, you notice that we chose a passage from the first chapter of Joshua. And one reason that I pick that is because there's some similarities. We're right now, I believe, in a similar situation to Joshua in that we as God's people have been wandering, and we're at the borders of the promised land. Now, I think it's significant that three times, more than any other time in the Bible, God challenges and admonishes Joshua to have courage. Matter of fact, I'd like to read verses 1, Joshua chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, verses 1 through 9, and, and notice the emphasis here. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that I'm giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Here, Joshua was given a great challenge. And after Moses died and they completed the time of mourning, God said to Joshua, Arise and go. Be courageous. Be courageous. Be courageous. Why would he say that? You know, I like history. 
and I was doing some reading on the Civil War not too long ago, and uh, it's quite an amazing study. And the North never really believed that the South was actually going to turn to violence until the Battle of Bull Run, and it sort of caught them off guard. They thought it was all saber-rattling. And Lincoln realized he needed to help organize an army in the North to not only defend the North, but to advance and to reclaim the Union, to go forward. So they searched and they found what they thought was the sharpest, brightest mind in the military. Graduated second in his class at West Point, George McKellen. And this man was uh, meticulous. He studied battle. His uniform was always spotless. He was a great organizer. He carried himself with an air of confidence and success. And first thing he said is, we need more men. So they sent some spies from the north off to the south to look at their forces. And the spies kept coming back and reporting numbers much bigger than they really were. They were frightened, evidently. And they said, oh, they've got thousands of soldiers. Robert E. Lee's got thousands of soldiers. And so McKellen, he said, we need a bigger army. And so Lincoln, they did all the recruiting they could and all the drafting they could. And they were even paying uh, soldiers to come and And um, eventually they amassed an army. It was the biggest army in the world at the time, the Army of the North, 100,000 soldiers on the border, ready to go into the South to preserve the Union of the United States. But General George McKellen was uh, so meticulous, he kept organizing and drilling and practicing. He wrote books on battles. He had studied battles in Europe And everything was about preparation and logistics and details until Lincoln became so exasperated. There's a few little skirmishes that he retreated from. He had 100,000 soldiers, and he was afraid to go forward. He was afraid to advance. Lincoln finally said, I begin to believe that we will never get ready to go forward. They were forever getting ready. And whenever he retreated from a battle, he said, I did it so we can fight another day. And he didn't want to put his soldiers in harm's way. So they loved him for it, but you don't win a war that way. To win a war, you've got to have courage to go forward. Why do you think God said three times to Joshua, be courageous, be very courageous, be courageous? Why three times to him more than anyone else? Because Joshua had been there before, and because the other people lost courage, they wandered a long time. Could that happen to God's people again near the end of time? Maybe it already has happened, and we're at the Jordan now. Do we need courage? Do we need to go forward? What is courage? Courage is the state or quality of mind or spirit that enables one to face danger, fear, or vicissitudes with self-possession, confidence, resolution, and bravery. Andrew Jackson used to say, one man and courage is a majority. How do God's people need courage? Why do we need courage? At the borders of the promised land, he told them to go forward once before, and they didn't. 
They were intimidated by the size of the enemy. Could we be intimidated? Have we ever been frightened by the odds of reaching the world with a message? Now, I don't want to, the last thing I want to do is discourage you. But sometimes the task before us is daunting. Now, I like being real. I hope you don't mind. But I'm always excited when I think about how our church has grown. I'm encouraged. I like telling people we have a million members in North America and 17 million plus around the world. And that's exciting. That's significant considering we started from nothing. But then you realize that every year, 80 million new people, after you even factor in all those who have died, 80 million new people are added to the world's population. And that means every 80 days, approximately, there are as many people added to the world's population as we have in the world church. Could that make your knees shake on the borders of the promised land? That's a daunting task. Jesus has told us to go into all the world. But what did God tell Joshua? He said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. What do you think Moses' odds looked like when he first went to Pharaoh, who had completely subjugated these people, and said, let them go? And then all Pharaoh did was tighten his grip and make them produce bricks without straw. It didn't look very hopeful. But they probably hadn't factored in the miracle power of God. And within a matter of weeks, we don't know the exact time, but it was a matter of weeks, God had completely turned things around. The Egyptians not only said, you can go free, they said, here, take our silver and gold as you leave. And God parted an ocean and fed them with bread from heaven and gave them water from a rock and delivered them from their enemies and there was no man like Moses. So when God says to Joshua, be courageous, why? As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Well, he was certainly with Moses. And who had a better view of God being with Moses than Joshua? Joshua had a front row seat as the assistant of Moses. Remember when they were down making the golden calf, Joshua didn't even know because he was right up there with Moses on the mountain. He saw Moses' face shining as he came from the presence of God. He went with Moses into the tabernacle when God spoke to him. And he said, as God was with Moses, so I will be with you. Well, that would encourage me. Matter of fact, you and I in some way should be more encouraged than Joshua because Joshua could look back at the leading of God through Moses as an example. How many heroes can we look at? I mean, can't the Lord say to us, as I was with David, as I was with Gideon, as I was with Elijah, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Is he saying that to us? Do we have the history and example in the word of God that he's going to be with us? That should be encouraging. Why do we need courage? Well, one thing we've got to keep in mind, fear is contagious. Once a person starts to shake and sweat, everybody around them starts to get a little bit nervous. God had told Moses 
that when you gather for battle with your enemies, he never said there wouldn't be battles. As a matter of fact, the law is given assuming there are going to be battles. God doesn't say, come to me and I'll save you from the battles. He says, I'll give you courage for the battles. There are going to be battles, everybody. It says, when you gather them for battle, Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, the officer will speak further to the people and say, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. It's contagious. We don't need you to be spreading fear among God's people. Just go home. We're better off without you. God is looking for people who are courageous, that believe in him. Same thing happened with Gideon. God says, Gideon, I want you to go fight the Midianites. And you know, it tells us they were like the sand of the sea, this army. He said, I want you to go fight them. So Gideon blows the trumpet and he blows it among his tribe and they get about 32,000 men who kind of come slinking out of their, their ranches and their homes to go fight this army that's spread out like an ocean in the valley of, of uh, Jezreel there, Megiddo. And God says, you've got too many people. And Gideon goes, what? Too many. Make an announcement. Judges 7, verse 3. Proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And out of 32,000, 22,000 of the people returned. Well, if I was courageous before that announcement, I don't know how courageous I would have been after two-thirds of the army left. And you know what God said? You still have too many. Because while the first group may have been fearful, you've got a bunch in your group now that aren't fearful, but they're foolhardy. They're reckless. So we've got to weed them out. So they went down to a brook and he said, look, whoever drinks water by bringing it to his face and lapping it like a dog, set him aside, hang on to him. Those who are so thirsty, they put their faces right down in the water, let them go home. Out of that 10,000 that remained, only 300 were courageous, but also prudent. And they looked around for the enemy and they brought the water to their mouths. And God said to Gideon, here's what I'm looking for. People who are courageous and wise, not brave and reckless. You've probably heard the expression before, there are old pilots and there are bold pilots, but there are no old, bold pilots. <laughs> and God wants us to have that balance. So we got to be courageous because fear is contagious and it spreads. Not only is fear contagious, Courage is contagious too. You know, we can be courageous when we remember that God is with us, that we're not alone. I think that makes all the difference in the world. He gives us the a promise of his presence. You notice in verse 5, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's a wonderful promise. The Bible ends with the promise God himself will be with them. And he was with Moses, no question about it. Exodus 33, 14. My presence will go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Was God with the children of Israel through the wilderness? 
Do they have visible evidence that he was with them? Do we have evidence that God is with us? Oh, I think we do, friends. We've seen such wonderful examples of God's blessing and evidence of his presence. Joshua 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and be of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with thee wherever you go. You know, that sounds strangely familiar. Notice what he says. Have I not commanded thee? God is with thee. I'm reading Joshua 1, 9. Now I want you to read another Joshua speaking, except the Greek pronunciation is Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you. Christ is basically quoting the words that he spoke to Joshua 2,000 years earlier. So as God was with Moses, and as God was with Joshua, and as the Father was with Jesus, Jesus said, I am with you. Has his promise changed, or do we still have grounds to be courageous these days when we consider that he's with us? And having God with us, should we expect less than Joshua experienced? Should we? You know, it's amazing to me, when the angel first appeared to Gideon, now you gotta keep in mind, Gideon lived after Joshua. And Gideon said to the angel, if God is with us, the angel said to Gideon, man of valor, the Lord is with you. He said, God's with us, really? I didn't, doesn't look like he's with us. We're being beaten on every side. We're overwhelmed. How can God be with us? And you know what Gideon said? What about all the miracles we used to hear about? We don't see God's power anymore. The days of miracles are over. Isn't that strange that Gideon would say that? That's Gideon who lived before Elijah, fire coming down from heaven. That's Gideon who lived before Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and all those miracles. Gideon said, it looks like the days of miracles are over. It doesn't look like God's with us. Well, did God then start new waves of miracles with Gideon? Did he do wonders of deliverance? In that same way, he'll be with us. Is God's work going to finish with less power than it started with? We're on the banks of the Jordan. Or should we, by faith, anticipate that God is going to move again? How are we going to ever reach a world where 80 million new people are added to the account every year without the power of God and without courage? He wants us to finish strong. I don't think the days of miracles are over. Let me read something to you from the book, Great Controversy. Speaking of the last days, page 612, if you're taking notes. Servants of God with their faces illuminated and shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven by thousands of voices all over the earth. Many of them ASI members. I threw that in. Did you notice? <laughs> the warning will be given. I'm still reading. Miracles will be wrought. The sick will be healed. Signs and wonders will follow the believers. As God was with Moses. You ever read the last thing that Moses wrote? Well, actually, Moses didn't write it because he was dead. But the last thing in Deuteronomy, which is the last book of Moses, turn to the last chapter of Deuteronomy 
And I want you to notice something, talking about the power of God. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. Matter of fact, scholars pretty much agree that the last chapter of Deuteronomy is really the first chapter of Joshua. Because Joshua probably wrote it because Moses was dead. Verse 10. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh and all his servants, and in all his land, all the signs, wonders, and miracles before Pharaoh. Verse 12, and by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel, in the sight of the government and the oppressors, in the sight of his own people, signs and wonders and power and terror and miracles through Moses as they left Egypt, will we expect less going into the promised land? Or is God going to do something and pour out his spirit and raise up an army that will go everywhere preaching the word fearlessly on the tomb of Lord Lawrence in Westminster Abbey. It simply says that uh, he feared no man because he feared God so much. And I think God is looking for people that love him and fear him so much that they're not afraid of anything else. You know, when you come to Christ and you take up your cross and you're crucified with Christ, you don't have to be afraid of death because you've already died. Did that make sense? You know, unless you're going to keep killing a horse over and over again. When you've been crucified with Christ and you've died, then you're dead. And you don't need to fear him who can hurt your body because they can't touch your soul. And that gives you courage. He says, I'll be with you as I was with Moses. You know, I, I love that story in the Bible of Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 14, we've got a brave example. Why should we be courageous? Because we're not alone. You remember the story. Jonathan said to this young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised, and it might be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in your heart. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. The armor bearer of Jonathan went around with that young prince. Jonathan was, he was quality stuff. He was a good man. David just loved Jonathan because he had such courage and love for God. So humble. Jonathan said to David when he first met him and saw him go out against the giant, says he loved him. Jonathan took off his armor and he gave him his belt and he gave him his sword and he gave him his bow and later he told him, I know you're going to be king in my place. You've been chosen by God and that's good enough for me. What kind of man would do that? Just say, you've been called to the Lord to do what you're doing and, and I, I accept that. He was quality material. He said, there is no restraint with the Lord to deliver by few or many. I have a feeling that Jonathan was inspired by the story of Gideon. And through the example of God delivering with few through Gideon, he said, you know, we don't have to wait because Saul and the people of Israel were all gathered together trembling. You remember that? 
Jonathan said, look, if we wait for them to advance, the war's never going to start. Maybe we could start something. There's no restraint with the Lord to deliver by few or many. You know, Saul kept having committee meetings. So we're going to have a committee study it. And they weren't going forward against the Philistines. It's real easy sometimes for us to get involved in, and I believe in preparation. I believe in training, you know, the AFCO program. We believe in training. We believe in seminars and studying evangelism. We're going to be doing an AFCO to go program next week. We believe in all that. But you can't forever be studying how to go forward and never going forward. And finally, Jonathan said, look, enough is enough. Let's get out of this committee meeting. Let's go fight some Philistines. And he said, there's no problem with the Lord. Maybe we haven't got everybody organized and ready yet, but let's see what we can do. Sometimes I think we're so afraid that we're going to do something wrong in our witnessing. Instead, we do nothing very well. And he said, let's go. And his armor bearer was so inspired by his courage, it was contagious. He said, wow. I can follow a guy like that into battle. My heart is with you as your heart. Your faith in your God is inspiring me, and I'm willing to follow you, just the two of us, against the garrison of the Philistines. Not only that, they strategically, bad position, they were going to fight their way uphill. And he said, I'm with you. And they went. And they won. Matter of fact, I think the Philistines were so surprised, they said, oh, look, the Israelites are coming out of the holes where they've been hiding. Come on up, we want to show you something. And they probably didn't even have their bows strung up yet. They just weren't prepared for a fight. And they were so taken by surprise, by the courage. It's kind of like the religious leaders back in the days of the apostles when they beheld the boldness of Peter and John they didn't know what to say. The audacity. God wants his people to have a holy audacity to share the truth. Not be afraid. And being courageous for God doesn't mean you're never afraid of anything. Matter of fact, I think in order to be courageous for God, you need to have a certain amount of normal fear. I don't reach out for rattlesnakes. I'm not afraid of rattlesnakes, but, you know, I don't reach out for them because I'm afraid of that. You know what I mean? And I think we've got to have that same kind of balance. Today, our garage door broke. And we're spoiled. We have one of these automatic garage door openers, and it's awful having to get out and lift it up by hand. <laughs> so we called the repairman, and he came over, and they had installed it, so he repaired the garage door, and and Karen takes her about uh, five minutes to know everything about a person. And so she began to visit with a guy and talk to him and chat and make friends and try and get him to lower the price. <laughs> and there's advantages to witnessing. <laughs> and as we were bidding him farewell, it only took him about 10 minutes to fix the garage. It took him about half an hour to get out of our living room. <laughs> I said, Karen, give him a book. 
I was thinking about, you know, you don't want to see it. Have you ever been afraid to say something like that to someone or to say, would you like this track or can I give you a tape or do you like to read? And, and you always, you, kind of, you know, sometimes the devil will try to intimidate us. And he frightens us about sharing our faith. And so she said, hey, do you read? I mean, what's the guy going to say? No, I'm illiterate. <laughs> she said, here, here's a book. And look, here's my husband's picture. Oh, he wrote the book. <laughs> oh, you know, you don't know what will happen. But you, you do that enough of the time, and you might see somebody in the kingdom. You know another reason we need courage? Or what gives us courage, I should say, is having a mission. Having a reason to fight. If someone says, I want you to go off into battle, be brave, fight. And you say, what am I fighting for? Nothing important, but be willing to die. And you go, wait, I'm not so courageous about that. Right? If you're going to be courageous, you need a cause. You need some reason. When David went to deliver his brothers their cheese and food from the vittles from home, and while he was out there on the front line, like any young man, you know, he's out there with the grown soldiers, and he's looking at them, and pretty soon he sees the enemy. Oh, there's the enemy front lines. Wow. And out comes Goliath. And then when Goliath began to mock the God of Israel and mock the armies of Israel and to blaspheme God's name, the blood rose up in David's heart. And he said, is nobody going to answer that challenge? Well, I've killed a lion and a bear, and together they're about as big as him. I'll do it if no one else is going to do it. And he started talking like that, and pretty soon his brother got wind of it. And you know what happened? Eliab, 1 Samuel 17, 28. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. This is his brother. He said, why'd you come down here to the front lines? And who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know the pride and the naughtiness of your heart. You're just curious. You came down here so that you can see the battle and then write a song about it. I added that part. Isn't it interesting that the discouragement from David going against Goliath did not come from the Philistines. It came from his own family. Sometimes Jesus is going to die for our sins and Peter says, that's a bad plan. You don't want to do that, Jesus. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. From the own, your own family, Mary Magdalene, pours out that gift and the Lord says she'll be remembered everywhere where the gospel is preached for what she's done and Judah says what a waste how reckless from among the apostles and sometimes a person gets inspired they want to do something for God and the family says are you out of your mind you really think that's going to work we need to encourage each other in our exploits for God what gives us courage having a mission, having a cause. Is there not a purpose? Did Joshua have a cause? Listen to what he said. Joshua chapter 1, God speaking to Joshua, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead now. Therefore, arise and go. Did our Joshua tell us to go? Jesus is Joshua in Hebrew, Yahshua. 
Yeshua is Jesus. You all know that. I, I remember the first time I heard it, it was new for me. Some of you heard it many times. Our Joshua, Jesus, has told us to go. He said, Arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, unto the land that I do give them, even the children of Israel. Is there a greater mission than leading people into the promised land? Who has a greater cause than God's people to bring folks from death to life, from sickness to health, from being blind to sight, from being dead to alive? I mean, please help me. Name a greater cause than that cause. Fighting and dying for a piece of dirty real estate? Well, for the promised land. People will be patriotic and pour out their lives and their blood for their homeland and the soil. You know, these people dying in Libya. And I admire their patriotism, but then you look at the ground they're dying for. And here, the Lord is telling us to be brave and to be courageous for the land flowing with milk and honey that God has prepared. Is that a cause worth living for and fighting for and dying for? To help people lead them into the promised land. That's what he's called us to do. To lead people into the promised land. And you know, you might have to sow a lot of seed and something will spring up. But can you imagine when you get across the Jordan and you meet people, you are so afraid and you didn't know whether to ask them if they want the DVD or the book or, or the Bible study. And you gave it to them and you get there and they're there. Will you ever have doubts then that it was a cause worth fighting for? You know another reason that we need to be courageous? Why did God tell Joshua, be courageous, be courageous, be courageous, be very courageous? Because they had failed before. Did they have some failures in the wilderness? Can you get discouraged and stop fighting when you fail? Sometimes a boxer will go out in the ring and early in the fight he gets punched and sent to the mat. And if he struggles back to his feet, there's a chance that he from then on can just try to protect himself and run from the opponent and hang out in the corner. And his courage can be dampened. And he gets in the corner between rounds and the coach is going to say, what's the matter with you? You're a fighter. You're a winner. So he hit you once. Get in there. Start swinging. When you've been knocked out once or twice, you can, you can lose your courage. Have you ever fallen? Have you ever been overcome by the enemy? Gotten discouraged? You fought and resisted temptation and you failed. And so next time you just don't have much fight left in you. As we're here on the borders of the promised land, is there a chance that some of God's people could be saying, you know, the enemy's kind of beat me up a little bit. I don't have that much courage left. Who was it? Thomas Edison that said, he that's afraid to fail is afraid to succeed. You can scarcely show me an example of a hero in the Bible that didn't fall somewhere along the way. Peter went out and wept bitterly after denying Christ. But you can hardly tell when he stands up on the day of Pentecost that he'd ever failed. 
He stood there with boldness and courage. He then later stood, he put his life on the line. They commanded him, do not preach in Jesus' name anymore. There they were all sitting up elevated, glaring down at him, fishermen in his rags. And he looked up at the austere leaders of the church at that time, and he said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Yeah, Peter had fallen before, but God gave him courage. We need the kind of courage John the Baptist had. Out there in the wilderness, dressed funny, eating funny things, preaching spirit-filled messages. And you know why Jesus said there's no prophet that's ever risen greater than John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist wasn't afraid to call sin what it was. He was able to go right up to the king and say, no, you're not supposed to have your brother's wife. That's not politically correct. You're not going to get anything from the government when you tell the king that. Except imprisoned and beheaded. And John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah. Elijah who told Ahab, it's you and your father's house. That's the kind of courage God's people need in the last days. Not only to live victorious lives, but to speak the truth with love and kindness and tact. But for heaven's sake, be bold. People are looking for people in the world who know what they believe. And yes, you're going to be ridiculed. People find out here in this century, how can anybody educated believe that the Bible is literal? How can anybody educated believe that God made the world in six literal days? You'll be laughed at. But I believe what the Bible says, and even more than that, I think that a person is drowning in a sea of absurdity to believe that everything, everywhere, all the organization and design that you see came from nothing, nowhere. That's your alternative. But you say that, and people look at you narrowly. Let them look. Because we're living lives before the king. You know, before David died, he called Solomon in. He said, Solomon, God has told me that you're supposed to build a house for him. And he said, be courageous and build it. God has called us to build up a house for him, hasn't he? What gives a person courage? Cause, a good example? Love. When Abraham's family was kidnapped by the enemy, he got an army together and he went after him, didn't he? All of a sudden, Abraham, who's a farmer, he's a shepherd. He goes out with 300 men and a few additional ones, and he fights against five kings. That takes courage. What made him so brave? He said, they've got my nephew. They've got his family. Love will make you courageous. 1973, some people in South Dakota in a motor home that was parked, taking pictures, a mountain lion managed to jump through an open window and grab an 18-month-old that was in there. Grandmother took a butcher knife and killed the mountain lion. Now, do you normally see grandmothers chasing mountain lions with a butcher knife? What would give them that kind of courage? Love. Do we have reason to be courageous for Jesus?
has he shown his love for us? He's given us an example of courage. He's given us promises that he'll be with us. And we have a great mission, friends, to go to the world. It's going to take a miracle of God's power, but I believe that we're on the borders of the Jordan and we should expect miracles again. What do you say? Would you like to pray with me and ask him again for that power? Let's bow our hands. Father, we're inspired by your word, by the truth that you have not changed. The same way you were with Moses and David and Elijah and others, you will be with your people today. Lord, we ask that you pour out your spirit, be with everybody. Sometimes we've failed, but we pray that you'll bless us and dust us off and lift us up again. Send us into the battle knowing we're not alone, but we're fighting alongside of thee. And I just pray you'll bless all of these people and give us victory that we may finish strong. We ask in Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.